Hello, I'm John Human, editor of Investors Chronicle, and welcome to this week's Companies and Markets podcast. Um, yes, another eventful week on the markets, plenty to talk about. I'm joined today um, by Mark Robinson, who's been looking after the uh, the company section this week in Stephen's absence. How you doing, Mark? Gong hei fat choi. Wonderful. Um, whatever. The, what are you on about? Um, uh, Theron Mohammed, who's written the cover feature, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Hello, John. Happy it, to be here. I'm very glad to hear that. Um, Theron has written about uh, investing in the film industry this week to coincide with Oscar week. So uh, we'll be hearing all about how you can benefit from um, from the resurgence of the silver screen. And we'll also have a little bit of chat, Mark Commode style, about films themselves. John, John I'd just like to point out that was a greeting for a Chinese New Year. Oh, thank you. Well, we'll talk about that in a bit. <laughs> My Mandarin is not up to scratch. I can barely pronounce European names. So, uh, pronounce, I can barely pronounce the word pronounce. <laughs> um, and uh, Graham, over in the control room. How are you doing, Graham? I'm very well, John. Good. Thank excellent. You. Excellent. Okay. Um, Let's uh, start with you, Graham. Um, hmm. What's been happening in uh, in the world at large this uh, week? And it's, it's all about Europe again. It's, uh, yet yeah. again, we're sat here talking about Greece. Crikey. Every week, it seems to be at the moment. Um, yeah, this sort of dance of death that keeps going on. First of all, they met up on Monday. They were going to make some sort of agreement. They didn't. This, that was it. Last chance. Greece blinked last night and said, OK, we'll accept it. And today, Germany has, has turned around and said, well, tough. Yeah, that, that, that happened about 20 minutes before we got yeah. an hour before we came in, in here. I yeah, mean. exactly. But I mean, looking at, you know, the markets have barely, barely reacted at all. So I think the assumption is that some sort of fudge will still happen here. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe the market is getting as bored with it as we are. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it, I, I must admit, I'm losing interest rapidly in mm. in the Greek story. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the, 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 the ramifications of a Grexit now are probably not as terrifying as they were a few, a couple of, couple of three years ago. People are a bit more willing to accept it, I think. So if it does happen... So be it. Um, you know, maybe maybe it would solve some problems. But that isn't to say that it will. I do think the Eurozone will still desperately try and cling together for another few months at least. Mm, okay. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think the the biggest story in the Eurozone is um, is, is the, the, the QE coming in terms of shares and equities. So I guess they're, they're ca- you know, cancelling each other out, essentially. Yeah, at the moment. Mark, yeah. Markets are... Um they're powering ahead still. European markets have, uh, have, have done incredibly well so far. I mean, uh, I, I put together the charts of the week this week. So eight of the major um, in, index indices in Europe have, have risen by more than 10% since the turn of the year. Mm, and the only one that's in negative uh, territory is Switzerland yes. for, for obvious reasons. Yeah. We can't I mean, the currency uh, even, shock. Exactly. Even the Greek markets uh, in, in, in just about the positive territory but you see yeah i mean th- that's basically equity um junkies jumping on jumping in ahead of qe wow okay fair enough so, yeah well, good luck to them it's uh seems like a perfectly good reason for buying shares yeah well, not one that we'd uh, advocate the investors chronicle no exactly but i mean um, it looks like the, the, you know the, i think the eu is just going to kick the can down the road again well well, it's because they've all become very good at can kicking yes. these days. The experts, so, indeed. Mm. But if only uh, we were quite as good at football kicking uh, in England. So there <laughs> you go. Um, okay, so what else? Uh, so we talked. We've got a bit about deflation here. I notice. Um, uh, are we worried about deflation still? Mm, well, uh, should we be worried about deflation? I mean, according to, I mean, it, it, it looks like it's coming. Inflation's down to 0.3% in January, um, a new record low. 
Um, uh, so, but according to Mark Carney, low inflation, low inflation is unambiguously good for the UK economy at the moment. Um, uh, he was quoted as saying, so uh, should we be concerned about deflation? I don't know. It's putting more money in people's pockets. So if you're a conservative politician, you'd probably be pretty pleased about that. Well, the, 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 bit, the big worry, I guess, is that, you know, the uh, expectation of lower prices in the future uh, mm. causes people to uh, postpone purchasing. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be happening. It doesn't seem to be happening yet. No, uh, this is something that Chris Dillow's written about quite a lot. The sort of, the sort of expectations of inflation are often, uh, or deflation are often strong, you know, a stronger force than than, than the figures themselves. Yeah, he's actually written about this again on uh, page 16 this week, um, mm. um, and he suggests that equities uh, don't do too badly in periods of deflation, and, and yeah. in fact that periods of deflation are a lot more common than uh, than you might expect. Mm. Um, he said, uh, you know, until the 1940s, um, deflation was in fact a, yeah a very common phenomenon. So uh, yeah, perhaps we make more of this than. Uh, yeah, than, uh, I mean, that needs to be made. Exactly. It's not. It, it's not. I mean, it, it means interest rates are going to stay low for a longer time, which is not great news for savers. Um, but Chris did a piece for our news section actually today. Points uh, this week, um, in which he he put forward uh, concerns about about the productivity of the UK and how actually that might have more of a bearing on uh, on, on driving inflation upwards sooner than we think. Mm. Um, uh, well, isn't uh, that view of Chris's, that's uh, counter the, to the general view, isn't it, that uh, um, equities suffer during times of deflation? Yeah, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. But the, I mean, the other thing he has, has talked about a lot is that, um, yeah, we, we may have actually reached the point where, uh, you know, the, the lack of investment, you know, you know, people can't postpone purchasing indefinitely because things wear out. So, you know, if you're if you're a business that is underinvested for a very long time, you have to replace your capital stock because it simply stops working or becomes so woefully inefficient that you are light years behind your competition. And, you know, the same same in any household. Um, you know, your your washing machine wears out, your microwave wears out. Your microwave, car, John, your, your car, car wears, wears out. out. <laughs> Uh, yeah, your car does wear out, which is the subject of my editorial this week. Should we talk about that now? My yeah. car woes. Why not? We might as well. Get it out of the way. Yeah. My car's worn You've out. You've been talking about it all week. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, actually, there's been a bit of a development since the editorial was written, uh, and that my car has actually ostensibly been fixed, albeit at huge expense. I guess the point I wanted to make in my editorial was that, you know, the car industry is, is, is one that is evolving quite quite rapidly. And Theron, we, we discussed this as I was uh, in the process of writing it, that, uh, you know, uh, cars are becoming very, very sophisticated. You know, I opened my engine when it started to play up and I looked, took, took one, in fact, actually it was with my dad who, who used to fix my cars when I was uh, a teenager. And he took one look at it and just said, John, I just don't even know what I'm looking at anymore. <laughs> you might have um, been referring to you. Well, there is that too. But no, cars, cars are, you know, very much they're they're electronically uh, controlled these days you know they 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 are uh, they rely on PCUs mm-hmm. whatever whatever that stands for to to keep you know the, the whole fuel thing running properly oh, yeah, here i am <laughs> i'm completely showing my, my expertise <laughs> cars here um, and as we, as we discussed there and you know the, the electronic content of cars is only getting getting is increasing uh, yes it is yeah and not both in the in the trunk or the boot, as well as in the uh, actual driver's area with the navigation and the technology. All the technology companies are really jumping into the space as a possible next growth frontier. So you, t- I mean, you took a company last week, didn't you? Cortex, which is involved in in, um, in, in car electronics or certainly big data and, yeah. and, and, and automotive. I mean, the whole, the whole thing is becoming a lot more sophisticated anyway. I was anyway. actually down at Imagination Technologies on Friday and they, okay. they actually do a lot of... Um, 
they're well, I'm better best explain uh, what they do. So they design the microchips that are used in tablets, and yeah, PCs, yeah. and one of their big growth areas is cars, where, um, say, your navigation unit or is using their technology. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was reading as well that Arm are getting involved in the kind of sensors to, you know, accident prevention and uh, you know, self-driving cars. Even you know, are, are, are a lot closer than than perhaps you might imagine. I mean, the whole the whole thing is moving forward quite quickly. So, yeah. And, and my point was that you know, I've got this car that needs fixing, and I think it's just about the stage where the local mechanic can fix it, and they did. Um, but I think we, we're going to reach a point soon where you know the diagnostics required to keep to keep a car on the road are going to be so sophisticated that your dealer is is your only bet. Really, it's the only place to go. Well, and actually, I mean, you know, my, my view is well, buy the dealers. And, and actually, I've had this view for quite some time that the aftermarket is becoming so important for these guys and is so profitable that these shares are worth buying. And actually, well, actually, we, we look at um, the results this week. Pendragon reported as well, and one of the most profitable parts of uh, that business is, is the after-sales market. It's, it's, of course, it doesn't necessarily relate to technology mm. in that sense. But you're going to have this chain right through from the initial purchase of a car. Uh, you, you'll have a relationship with the dealer uh, right through the life of the, the vehicle. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And, I, you know, I did have that with, with my car for a while, certainly, in, you know, while it was under warranty, you go back to the dealer... But it is expensive, you know. They 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 don't come cheap dealer service, and and uh, yeah, you know, the, in the past you could eventually take your car, extract it from that dealer relationship, and go to uh, an independent garage. And I just think those guys are getting squeezed. And people I've spoken to in the you know in, in the process of fixing my car have said, yeah, we we you know we, we're a dying breed. We're we're on the way out here. Well, that, that's right. And and the, this the secondhand car market isn't what it used to be. Well, it is. I mean, the secondhand market is big, but it's big for dealers. You know, it's so big it's, for uh, dealers. But you're, you're going to get to a situation now where you're going to you have far greater customer loyalty in the future. I would imagine. Yeah, I don't think it's loyalty so much as uh, being locked in, but. But, uh, no. Anyway, so so um, I, I I'm going to blow my own trumpet because I, I I like the look of the car dealers for some time. Pendragon, um, I said buy that 14p, uh, 2012, 30 37p now, 38p. Yeah, and a really decent uh, dividend hike as well. Um, Vertu, same, you know, tip that four years ago, 38p. That's up to 59 inch Cape, which is big international dealer group. That's double since I tipped it in 11. So yeah, I mean, you've you never know. considered a, a career in the forecourt. I wish, I wish I would have uh, hedged my <laughs> car expenditure by buying the shares in the in the automotive dealer industry. They they have proved extremely good investments so you know i think um i mean one of the things we graham were talking about before we came in here was that actually household finances are looking in pretty good shape at the moment as well yes yeah yeah yeah. 350 pound a year better off apparently we're going to be because of um uh, falling in falling food costs falling petrol costs and rising wages Mm, so i mean you know it's not you know 350 pound is not going to get get you far in the car market um but you know that that feel good factor will mm. filter through into new car sales. Yep. Lower petrol prices will filter through into you know the cost of motoring coming down and people thinking about yeah well time for a new car perhaps. Yeah. So you know I think um, I think in that respect perhaps it's time to have another look at retail. Um, we'll wait till Julia's back from Barbados mm-hmm. and uh, we will uh, we'll have a look at that again. But uh, yeah, you know the, I think the, the the consumer economy is looking in pretty pretty decent shape here in that respect. Yes, um, which, uh, which is good timing for the government. And those figures have come. I, mean, I think we had some figures from the ONS and we had a, we had uh, the latest market house or finance index, which is looking pretty good. So uh, yeah, all good in mm. that respect. All good. Um, so uh, Mark, let's talk about results for a bit because uh, oh. I was taking you by surprise. <laughs> uh, you've been looking after the results section this week. Yeah. Um, 
In fact, you've also written a fair amount of them because the miners have featured quite heavily this week. Well, yeah, there was some interesting stuff in there. Um, uh, we, uh, nothing to be unexpected, really. Uh, Anglo-American um, uh, continued their normal theme. They're sort of uh, focusing almost solely now on sort of uh, capital allocation. Uh, they're cutting their spending. The best part of the business, the best performing part of the business is really the uh, De Beers Diamond subsidiary. Yeah. Uh, again, that wasn't uh, much of a surprise in itself. Again, the consumer uh, story coming through there. Well, yeah, that's, that's true as well. But, I mean, the, the, the point is with them, as we mentioned many times before, it's, it's um, uh, the, the, the trouble that they've had is, is linked to that Minas Rio uh, development, the, uh, the iron ore the development big iron ore, yeah. in, in uh, Brazil there. And... Um, uh, that they have they've taken another um, write down on that uh, post tax write down of three point nine billion, but I, I kind of remember what the, the total figure is now going down through the years. Um, but you've got to want to buy still. So I mean, is this have, a, a mad contrarian <laughs> call, or is well, there? No, um, it, it was. Uh, we, we were expecting uh, Glencore to come in the market and uh, make a bid approach. Yeah, uh, and that isn't entirely beyond the realms of possibility still. Uh, because yeah, yeah. we don't know if uh, if they're they're a rebuffed in terms of uh, Rio, and so um, we think we think that's uh, we think that's still a, a possibility. Because you've read about Glencore as well this week. Yeah, well, it's we looked at it for, uh, on the broker viewers, and it, unfortunately, it's a company that we've really had difficulty in trying to get a handle on because of I its, think I think that applies to. Everybody, yeah, well, anywhere. They, just because of the trading operations. Mm. I, I mean, you know, they've got some tremendous assets and uh, great cash flows, but uh, and they always sell themselves on the point that even in periods of downturn, they're, they're trading uh, uh, their marketing sort of operations. So uh, what, it, what it's done is it's dumped its stake in Lomin, basically. And yeah, not Lomin, it, the well, big platinum miner. Yeah, that's right. I mean, after, you know... In, Tremendous troubles over the last 12 months for Lonmin. You know, they had that prolonged industrial action in South Africa at the beginning of last year. And um, they really got rid of the stake uh, by way of an in-species in dividend. And so basically they're giving it to their, their shareholders, uh, possibly because they couldn't really find a buyer on the open market. Uh, Platinum not that attractive at the moment. Then. Uh, not at the moment, but we were we we got the well. I, I got this wrong anyway. I fully expected prices to um, to rebound uh, following the last year's industrial action. The only the only metal within the platinum group complex was uh, palladium that performed quite well. We mm. we did write that it probably would do. Uh, the, the, the trouble being is that the inventory levels were much higher than we'd anticipated. Uh, but there's some evidence to suggest now that uh, that they inventories could be supportive prices for the, the remainder of this year. Funnily enough, platinum is was uh, was at the tr- the centre of my car troubles this week because it was my catalytic converter that failed. And obviously, platinum is yeah a, a metal that's in, involved in that that aspect of uh, yeah the, 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 the mechanics of a car. European motor retail is, yeah. is probably the biggest end user. And yet, despite the fact that that's pretty pretty. Decent, strong. The uh, the European, in fact, yeah. the global car economy. Um, platinum hasn't. The, the inventory level has been so high that it just hasn't filtered through into. Well, that's right. I think buyers had actually been buying up in anticipation of the industrial actions. Right. That's what that's what we're hearing now. So, okay. Well, um, I guess if we remain on um, on natural resources, uh, John Wood turned in. Um, a pretty decent uh, yearly result. John Wood being oil, uh, oil services. Oil services, right. of course. Um, and they sort of beat all the forecasts going through this week. And it surprised markets, really, because obviously with the with the crude oil price the way it is, 
Uh, it's hardly hardly in sort of encouraging territory at the moment. The, the share price has gained support um, because of management's uh, commitment to a, the future dividend policy as well. They're, they're talking about double-digit sort of okay. uh, increases. But the same token, they've cut back spending uh, massively over the next few years as well. And, and John Wood, to their credit, sort of preempted the, these falls by taking their capital allocation very seriously through the second half of last year as well. And that's a company that had previously, um, well, uh, I wouldn't say mismanaged, but uh, there was a certain doubts over the way that it had been managed in the past. Okay, and you've looked at the wider oil services sector as well um, in, in the news section of the magazine, because you, your, your thesis being that after what's been a savage sell-off for this sector, and I think you talk about, do you brother here? Forty-two percent. Well, that, that's trough. yeah, that's that, that's the uh, the FTSE uh, three fifty or services index. Services. I mean, so big, big sell-off. A big you think sell-off. the Nadir might have been reached well, the, or, or well, passed? Well, possibly. Yeah. I mean, I, Simon Thompson's alluded to this uh, in the past as well, and there was mm. um, some research out from Morgan Stanley this week, pointing to the um, uh, when we've had a precipitous price fall in the, in the past. The the average uh, recovery rate has been around about fifty eight percent in in each case. That's when oil has lost more than fifty percent of its value within six months, and within the next six months, the average sort of return has been around about sixty percent, which is you know yeah. a sort of in, incredible sort of rebound really for the services sector. Yeah, is that dependent se- upon a, an increase in the oil price? Uh, well, or not is is it to do with them getting their Businesses reorganised to cope with the lower price environment. It has, it's very much to do with the fact that the sell-off, sell-off tends to be um, exaggerated in, in the first part because right. people tend to dump uh, dump the sector yep. and pick up at the same time because it, it's the old classic sort of um, overselling. It's overselling. It is. It is overselling, but it, it um, uh, feeds into that picks and shovels uh, narrative really. And the fact, if you want to get gain ex, gain exposure to uh, oil markets. Oil services is the way to go. But you've also talked about the uh, perhaps they're shifting their focus somewhat from exploration drilling to production. Yeah, support. that's why we're looking on an indi- you know you, you can you can play this by either getting exposure to the the, the sector via a derivative. But if you're looking at oil service companies themselves, you, you want to try and look at ones that have uh, got uh, higher rates of exposure to production led activities rather than exp- exploration and, and appraisal. Because uh, that's more sort of uh, consistent, predictable. Likewise, with uh, oil service companies that that have uh, long-term contracts with uh, national oil companies, particularly those in the Middle East, where again the revenue streams are far more predictable. Okay, if you don't want to go stock picking, you can buy some ETS, but not in this country. Not in this country, no. Uh, there, there's a there's about four or five that we identified uh, in the US, and we've marked the two down with the largest size there. Uh, that's up throughout. So you can you can buy it. We can buy them. You can buy exposure to it. And yes, you can. But you have to, but you have to go off. Exactly. Off the, outside these shores. Which, uh, outside you know, these shores, indeed. So, uh, be a bit brave. Okay, well, I guess that really sums up the uh, the news and the um, the results this week. And it's going to get busier next week, isn't it, Mark? We uh, actually took the liberty of printing out the uh, the next week's uh, um, company yes. results flat plan. And yes. yeah, it's, it's, we're getting towards that time of year where uh, we, we get a deluge. Exactly, exactly. If our readers have uh, got any exposure to 350 companies, they can look forward to some good reading in the weeks to come. Good luck. Okay, well, perhaps now is time to turn to uh, our cover feature, Movie Magic. Theron, tell us, tell us about the cover feature this week. It's all about film and how you can get exposure to it. What do you, what do you conclude? 
Well, uh, first of all, I think it's a well-timed feature giving the Oscars this weekend. And I think let's look historically first. So a couple of the companies we talk about have been extremely good performers, haven't mm. they, John? Absolutely. So uh, in the UK, is the, so we've got City World, which we've been tipping. 2008, we first tipped that at about one pound thirty. And it's done extremely well since, up to about £4.30 now. So we're in bagger territory yeah. with that one. And um, I think we've tipped that six times on the yeah. way. <laughs> and actually, every time it's done extremely well. And often, in fact, uh, you know, to, to defy expectations. You know, The cinema is not something you would automatically assume. It's like a boom industry. But it's, it's, you know, it's certainly been holding its own over the last few years. And, and actually, more and more people seem to be going to the cinema. Yeah, well, I think one of the keys is tapping into underserved audiences, whether that's overseas, so mm. Cineworld's expanding into Israel and Eastern Europe, or whether it's what Everyman Media Group is doing, which is catering to these niche audiences, so offering them a more luxury experience. Okay, so, so you that's... You have to evolve the, what you're offering. So right? that's like the art, art house cinema yeah. type experience. Well, Cineworld did get into that a few years back, didn't it? Because it bought, uh, it bought the picture house chain, which I used to go to, which was, yeah, smaller art house cinemas with cafes in them. It was, it was exciting different experience but i mean cine, cinema cine world is it's really a it's a mass market multiplex experience now and i think in your feature you talk about you know the model is squeeze more more cinemas more screens into a single building get them buying more popcorn i mean this is this is what it's all about really yeah so actually this isn't in the feature but amc reported results this week which is another big u.s cinema chain and although admissions were down they actually did very well because food and drink offerings were up Mm, more than mm. anyone expected. Well, you, they're certainly not cheap when you uh, you, you take the uh, family out for a night at the cinema. I mean, I, I think I spent something like £25 on the tickets and th- £40 on popcorn and slush. <laughs> and it's often not the best quality stuff either. Oh, I've got to say, I, I, I am partial to a bit of popcorn and slush in the cinema world. Um, but yeah, so... so um, Cinemas are, are, are one good way of perhaps accessing this trend. And, uh, you know, despite the, the sharp rise in cinema world over the last few years, you know, we're still positive on those shares. Um, Entertainment One is another one we've, we've been positive on for a long while. This is a slightly different model, isn't it? Yep. So they acquire and exploit the rights to properties. So Nightcrawler and The Theory of Everything, Night they both Craw- own Nightcrawler. the Jake Gillen, Jake yeah. Gyllenhaal. Yeah, it's I'm a good movie. See it. <laughs> see it? Have you seen it? Yes, it's really good. Okay, I'm going to see that next week. Uh, um, a bit weird. No? Yeah. Yeah. But it's getting critics are raving about it. So. It's art, it's art, that's an art house film, though. Is it? Um, it's well. I think a lot of journalists will like it because it's it's him hitting the streets, quite gritty. Oh, tracking so, these crimes down that are so, happening. Sounds like life at the Investors Chronicle. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, so they so they get the rights and they're, so they're a distributor basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, their big success has been Peppa Pig. That, yeah, so they have the, the film division didn't actually do that well because last year wasn't that good a, a year at the box office, but yeah. their TV division is, work, is growing very fast and Peppa Pig is um, going to turn over a billion dollars in retail sales. So it's not just the TV show that's doing well, it's all the clothing, the toys, the snacks, I guess. So they have the rights to that as well. Yeah. Okay, and that's why, I mean, if looking further afield uh, internationally, we like Disney. Yeah, I so mean, Disney is Dis- Disney is Disney, but Disney hasn't always been a license to print money. But of late, you look at Disney and it is just a powerhouse of not just as you say, not just film, but merchandising as well. Yeah, so I think there are two aspects to Disney's success. One is that it has this incredible library of content. So it owns Marvel, which does the Avengers and all the superhero movies. Because well, that's that was a relatively recent acquisition, was it not? Was it um, a couple yeah, of years ago, maybe. Yeah. About five years ago, I think. Is it five? Is it really? I thought it was. I thought it was more recent than that. 
Um, I think it was, but anyway, whatever, whatever. Um, <laughs> um, it owns Pixar, which does all the an- great animated films. And it's got its own in-house studio, which launched Frozen, this huge smash hit. Don't I just know it? My kids love that film. Um, and it's got the Star Wars films, which are getting a reboot this year. Indeed. I mean, that's going to be huge. That is going to be huge. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. Well, you can't um, doubt that. You, um, actually, I was reading a, a feature in The New Yorker about John Laster of Apple. Okay. And he was talking to J.J. Abrams, who directed Star Wars, and they are saying they have this feeling that the, they face such phenomenal expectations, the both of them, and it's almost impossible. No, there's no way they can live up to what people want from them, in a way. Yeah, but having said that, the three... Johnny Ive, sorry. Ever Johnny, Apple, Johnny, yeah. Ive, Johnny Ive of Apple. The, the three um, Star Wars follow-ups, not the first three, uh, were rubbish. Yeah. So they've also got not a lot to beat in respect of those films. My kids, well, I, 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 I made a huge mistake, because my kids are 11, and... Uh, and I said, I sat them down one day and said, "Right, kids, it's time we watch Star Wars, and uh, this is the best film you will ever see." And I, I learned then that managing a child's expectations is quite, quite difficult because uh, they sat and they watched the first Star Wars, and you know the the, the uh, Star Destroyer comes over the the, uh, the whatever the back of you, whatever. And um, anyway, they thought it was crap. <laughs> 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 it looks, so, it looks so, a bit so, dated nowadays. It, 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 I thought it looks amazing, but um, yeah, they thought it was crap. So I that, don't know. I, I, I don't know. That actually leads us on to another company I talk about, which is OMG, which is the special effects company. Okay, yeah, and yeah. They, um, so since since Star Wars came out, special effects has been a big part of cinema, and they do the motion capture technology for the Hulk in the Avengers and Paddington the bear so they work with uh, Andy Serkis that the um, what's yeah. it Imaginarium is that yeah. one yeah 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 so Andy Serkis is the guy who he, he is Mr. Motion Capture and um, in Planet of the Apes he's the chief ape as well wow yeah he's no a glittering career and you never see his face yeah. he played Ian Jury he did play Ian Jury that is true and he was pretty good as Ian Jury mm. as well um so yeah my kids do love Gollum we've been watching the Lord of the Rings films and they do they love Gollum are you supposed to like Gollum I don't know but anyway, they love him. Um, okay, but so OMG, um, what do we think of their shares? I mean, are we are we um, buyers? So are we because in the past yeah. they've been quite expensive. Um, I think they're quite attractive, and it's a company I'm going to keep an eye on over the next few weeks. Because it's not just film they do, is it? I mean, there's yeah. scientific imaging as well. That kind of so they do it for engineering and defense as well, yeah. so yeah. they can help you track the enemy movements on a battlefield or they can help you shoot a feature film so they have a quite a broad portfolio of stuff they do it's amazing isn't it how how these industries are kind of melding together it's uh it's really really quite quite insane in fact okay uh and then uh, i mean let's let's talk about some of the um so you've got the big studios as well obviously we don't have big studios in the uk but we actually have a company that helps the big studios make films which is pinewood shepperton yeah, so this is a very interesting company because it counts Disney as one of its main clients. So yeah. the Star Wars, the Avengers, they're all shot at its South Buckinghamshire studio. And that's an AIM-listed company. I mean, it's had quite a checkered history. Uh, and in fact, Graham, are you listening out there? You, yeah, wrote, you wrote once about Pinewood Shepherd, didn't you? About a famous, a famous head, one of my favourite ever headlines in the Investors Chronicle. What yes. was it, Graham? Uh, the headline of a blog that I wrote was, what's, what's the point of Michael Gray 
<laughs> who was the chairman of Pinewood Shepparton at that time. Indeed. And had previously been chairman of Charlton Athletic when they were a quoted company as oh, well, I think. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Uh, yes, and as well as bigger media jobs, obviously. But, so, Pine, I, I, do you know what? I can't actually remember what happened to Pinewood Shepparton after that, but it was all a bit messy. It did go a little bit messy, uh, yep. And then they've, they've had a big um, uh, planning application a, thing going on for a long thing, time. It? Yeah, it was a property plan. Is, is that still going on? So they've got the approval to actually expand their studio at last, and they also bought out from Aviva the Shepperton studio, so they were getting up to sort of three-quarter capacity usage, and now they're going to expand more because they've moved into TV, meaning they have more business to fill up the studio. And so so why would someone come to the UK to make a film? I mean, you know, because I, I, you know, a few years ago, I was, you know, it was was Eastern Europe. You go to to Eastern Europe, you go to the Czech Republic to make a film because it was so much cheaper. Why come to to the UK? Well, it's the film tax relief that was introduced about seven years ago. Right. um, People in the industry really see that as the main reason that the UK has become a hub for filmmaking. Tax. Yeah, tax. We've also got a lot of expertise here that, that's yeah. true, isn't it? So, I mean, uh, you mentioned gravity, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you don't come to the UK to make a film gravity just because of tax. You come to make a film because we have amazing, Actually, amazing expertise. In a friend of mine uh, worked in post-production. On gravity? Yeah. Okay. It's based in Soho. Really? Mm. Well, frame store. Oh, I can't remember. Ah, okay. Um, so, uh, amazing. Anyway, so so the UK film industry is, is alive and well. And, you know, whilst we don't have, you know, these big studios, we have a, a huge supporting cast of, of companies that, that, that really, really, you know, are, in fact, they haven't disappointed over, over the years in, in the main. I think um, definitely a sector to watch, no? Yeah. So um, if I can just talk a little bit about a couple of the sort of trends in the industry. So one is is cross-marketing. So Disney's great at this. So it'll launch a movie, then broadcast it on its its TV channels, uh, release the toys and clothes in its stores, open a theme park ride at Disney World and make a video game about it. So uh, one success can lead to success across its divisions. Mm. And the other big trend um, is diversification. So as Pinewood's moving into TV, Entertainment One has TV and film and its own production business. So the huge risk in film is narrowing your choices to just one or two films and hoping they win. Yeah, I was going to well. say, because you mentioned that some of these companies are making hundreds of films every year and they yeah. know. But, but actually, at the same time, I think um, an interesting point you make was that that actually they also know that because it's so important to have a big hit, it's focusing them on on the franchises, the the sequels that they know are going to be money spinners. And there's worries that this could actually be to the detriment of the independent film industry. Yeah, so it's very interesting that as Steven Spielberg said, he struggled to get Lincoln into cinemas because the cinemas are more interested in the Avengers or the Avatar films, which yeah. really grab audiences rather than the more serious films. Because that was going to go to, to HBO, I think yeah. you're right. But that's not so bad. I mean, HBO is a quality outfit. I mean, The Wire was... Was The Wire HBO? was, yeah. wasn't it? Um, and that's amazing. And I think, I think TV is not what it used to be. You know, made for TV is not a, not a, you know, a bad thing anymore. But you'd expect the director of Jaws and Jurassic Park to be able to get a film into cinemas, hopefully. Well, that, that's true. That's true. But having said that, I, actually, I forgot to mention, and there's a really interesting trend in, in uh, film and TV, certainly in distribution, that's, that's the uh, uh, video on demand, the, uh, the online delivery of film through companies like Netflix yeah. and uh, Amazon Prime. And, you know, we are big, in my house, are big fans of Netflix. Um, expensive shares, though, but they, they're kind of living up to the expectation, aren't they? Yeah, they're managing to uh, tap into these new audiences around the world and keep the growth going. There are questions about whether they can sustain their current growth mm. and if they can keep finding new audiences. But... I think they will. I mean, the, you know, the self 
produce stuff that they're 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 investing in. It's it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's hit after hit after hit. And we, Graham, we've been watching uh, Better, ha- Better Call Saul this Better week. Better Call Saul, Lily Hammer before that. Lily Hammer is amazing, which is where, incidentally, Stephen Wilmot is this week, yes. skiing in Lily Hammer, <laughs> which we love. He didn't even know actually that Lily Hammer was a hit TV program. <laughs> oh, you've got to love Stephen. I, I keep on uh, I keep on expecting to see Stephen pop up in Wolf Hall. <laughs> Dear, oh dear, oh dear. Um, yeah, so no, um, yeah, so uh, Marco Polo was pretty. I mean, you know, diff- slightly different, epic, and uh, their answer, I guess, the Game of Thrones, and uh, you mentioned House of Cards in the future. Coming out in the next couple of weeks. And actually, you know, we talked earlier about you know big data and, and uh, transportation and driving, but you know, big data is kind of behind production there. Yeah. So you talked, and I didn't know this, but they'd noticed the correlation between viewers who liked Kevin Spacey films and people who watched the original English House of Cards. And they thought, and ah, we might have something here. That's it. And guess what? It worked. Mm. Amazing. So, the, you know, it's bringing a whole new science, I guess, to, to, to content creation, which is, I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. And I think the endorsement of these um, new platforms by Woody Allen directing films to them and Kevin Spacey starring in TV shows shows that um, the talent and the studios really view it as the future. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's actually something on Amazon Prime, and I, you know, I don't have Amazon Prime because uh, I've got Netflix, but uh, it's called uh, The Man in the High Castle, which is uh, based on a Philip K. Dick book. I'm a big fan of Philip K. Dick. He's a science fiction author, slightly potty. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to bite the bullet and buy that as well. God, <laughs> brilliant at extracting money from me, just as the automotive aftermarket <laughs> has been brilliant at extracting money from me this week as well. Okay, well, thank thank you, Sarah. Should we talk? Should we, should we go a little bit off piece and talk about the uh, the actual Oscars, which are coming up on Sunday? Who's going to win the best picture? Reluctantly, I think it'll be Boyhood. Why? Because the Academy, I think, really appreciates um, creativity and originality, and the idea of following a cast of people in real over a twelve-year span in real life is something that hasn't been done before. It is what, about, what about Seven Up? Seven Up. Oh, what's, the, what's, the, what's the program? The, the UK pre- yeah, program. So, yes. Oh, so you're talking about a reality TV show? Well, in a sense, but the, no, well, yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's, it's been going since the 60s or 70s, hasn't exactly. it? Every seven years, they re- revisit. A group say, of are you people. suggesting that the the uh, the Academy does not appreciate that that British television got there first? Well, I, I dare say they did appreciate it uh, <laughs> and appropriated it as well. Yeah, so, well, okay, slightly different concept. Well, if it were up to me, I would give it to the Grand Budapest Hotel because I absolutely love that film. Absolutely amazing. I think Wes Anderson is an amazing director, and that is particularly brilliant. And Ray Fiennes is absolutely incredible in that film absolutely love it did you catch the lego movie john i did I, yeah of course I did. That, I that was the biggest snub at the oscars yeah yeah oh. i thought it was okay my kids love it love the lego movie brilliant film yeah i don't know i'm i'm, I'm not personally that surprised that it hasn't i mean you know these are, these are amazing films we're talking yeah. about here but the lego movie is it, yeah. is it is i mean it is it's a kid's film well it's, it's an, great. A, yeah there's a whole animation category and it didn't get into the top five which yeah, is that's, a bit unbelievable that's ridiculous that's ridiculous i, I, I do like that film but uh, you know best actor uh, eddie eddie redmayne <laughs> Yeah, he was okay. <laughs> I'd actually bump the the little the little guy that uh, plays the central character in the Babadook. What are you talking about? He, now? He's not on the list. They haven't been nominated, <laughs> but it was an outstanding film. 
Okay. Well, yeah. listen, let's, I can't be bothered to talk about the Oscars anymore. I, I always <laughs> I always get extremely angry on Oscar night for some bizarre reason. Probably because it's ridiculously well, well, think, late. And, uh, with our Chinese subscribers in mind, uh, it, we are entering into the, the year of the goat. Right. And what, what does this, t- what is the goat? What are the ca- characteristics of the goat that we should take on board when we're looking at share markets? Well, I don't know. Well, uh, we did. So, okay, we we were talking about this yesterday, we uh, and I I was born in the year of the rabbits, uh, as you could probably guess. Mm. Uh, but what was what surprised me was that, that that one of the characteristics of a rabbit is that they get angry very quickly. This <laughs> 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 is kind of true. Yeah. This is kind of true. Um, no, I have no idea what uh, the year of the goats will bring from an equities perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, Theron, Mark. Thank we got sent, we got sent some fortune cookies today, so you know, uh, open them up. I want I want to hear your fortune for uh, the year ahead. What have you got, then? A dream you have will come true. And what? Okay, oh. I suppose you've got to keep that to yourself, otherwise <laughs> it won't come true. Uh, what have you got? Mark? I, I can't get the wrapping off. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, oh, brothers. Okay, uh, I think that's that's uh, enough of your time that we've taken up this week. Uh, we've got through lots. Thank you, Theron, for uh, for that fantastic discussion of, of of the cinema. I love the cinema. I love going to the cinema. So uh, it's, it's really good to have that in the magazine uh, this week. Thank you, thank you, Mark, for um, for summing up the news and uh, and Graham, of course, for, uh, for your. Uh, Wonderful comments there on uh, on Greece. Yeah, uh, we'll probably talk about it <laughs> next week, John. <laughs> Plenty more in the magazine. We've got something on there on house building. We've got um, a, a quant uh, specialist has actually written something for us this week on on the power of passive investing, which is really interesting. Uh, picking up where Dominic Picardo left off in terms of our market tactics and uh, and, and tactical asset allocation. Lots in the fun section, as I said. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, not talk about that today because uh, they're not here. But we will be launching very shortly a specific uh, funds and personal finance podcast. Please tune in for that. Hopefully we're going to do it in a couple of weeks, eh, Graham? Yeah, hopefully yeah, to we, coincide with our yeah. ISA special. Which is 6th March, of Friday March, the 6th yeah. March. Uh, sector focus this week on hotels, which is a, an interesting industry. But it itself is being subjected to some some uh, interesting technological... Uh, disruptive technology. Disruptive technology in the form of Airbnb. Airbnb, yes. Airbnb, indeed. and there's a video on the website this week. Yeah, yep. yeah. I think you know, again, I, I find this quite bizarre. Actually, I'm going to digress a little. I find this quite bizarre that a hotel industry can't get its head around the fact that people might want to let their homes out and other people might want to go and stay in them. But it, you know, whatever. Mm. That's most of my holidays are like that because, quite frankly, I've got a family, two kids. I need two rooms in a place where we can all be together and the hotel industry is 100% failed yep. to offer something for me as a family looking for somewhere to stay. So uh, anyway, I digress. And a little high horse there. Paint in the magazine this week. Movie magic. You'll recognise the uh, the sign on the cover. It's quite, quite famous. £4.50, all good news agents, and uh, see you soon. Thank you very much. <laughs>